0: So we're going to be taking a break from Stone's Cry Out. Pastor Dave's going to finish that uh, series when he gets back, and uh, you'll be back to your regularly scheduled presenter. And, um, but we will see a stone cry out for God in a big way today. The title of today's message is, When Plan Meets Purpose. We're going to start this morning by talking about a word that you won't see in your Bible. This word has no Greek or Hebrew meaning. It is a completely secular word. And that word is underdog. Underdog is a 19th century word that comes from dogfighting. And the winner in a dogfight is known as the top dog or the overdog. And the loser is known as the underdog. The dictionary definition is a loser or predicted loser in a struggle or contest. You might hear this word underdog in academics, business, politics. But this morning, we're only gonna kinda use it in the realm of sports. And don't worry, this sermon isn't about sports, but I think we can use underdogs in sports to talk about a part of the Bible that we've read probably dozens of times. So we're going to start with some famous sports underdogs. This might be fun just to get going here. The 2001 New England Patriots. Now, there was a time when the Patriots had never won a Super Bowl, and I know that's hard to believe. Super Bowl 36, uh was the 11-5 Patriots versus the 14-2 St. Louis Rams. And I don't know if you remember at that time, the Rams were known as the greatest show on turf. I love that name. The Patriots ended up winning the game on a, on a clock-expiring field goal. And that field goal started a 20-year dynasty, nine trips to the Super Bowl with six world titles. Nobody saw that coming. The second underdog I want to talk about is Abibi Bikila Abibi Bikila was a 28-year-old Ethiopian marathon runner who ran in the 1960 Marathon in Rome. He's famous because he ran this marathon in bare feet, no shoes. So his team-issued shoes hurt his feet, so he decided not to wear them. And not only did he win the gold, he set what at that time was a new world record. Two hours, 15 minutes, and 16.2 seconds. Not bad for an underdog. After he crossed the finish line, he was rumored to have told people nearby he could have done another six to nine miles in that condition. It was so hot in Rome that summer, they moved the marathon back a few hours because you know, some of the marathon was still that cobblestone street, and he ran that in bare feet. Not bad for an underdog. The next underdog is probably the most famous American sports underdog, the 1980 USA men's hockey team. They're probably the most famous. That USA team was comprised of of complete amateurs, average age 21 years old. That was the youngest team at the time ever assembled. Their opponent, the Soviet USSR team, which was comprised of what was essentially professional hockey players. The Soviets had not lost an Olympic hockey game since 1968. They were four-time defending gold medalists. The USA was a 1,000 to one underdogs by sports handicappers. So as you can see here, they won the game, score of four to three. And right before they started piling on to each other, another remarkable thing happened. One of the most famous sports uh, color commentaries ever, Al Michaels asked the people at home, do you believe in miracles? I think that is amazing we are told it takes a miracle for an underdog to win. Now, this game is even known as the miracle on ice. They made a movie about it. So these underdogs are famous because they won. They weren't supposed to win, but they did. When we watch sports, we know who's supposed to win. We look for size, speed, strength, experience. And we remember these underdog stories because they don't happen that often. Most of the time, the top dog wins, the underdog loses, and we know why they had the odds placed against them in the first place. I'm not trying to bring you down this morning. I love underdog stories. I love sports. I love everything about sports. I still play some sports. I watch sports. I love them. But we always talk about underdogs. So now... We're gonna talk about one more underdog, a biblical underdog. And he is not famous as much as he is infamous, and his name is Goliath of Gath. <laughs> Look at this big huge underdog. Goliath is described in the Bible as a giant of sorts, not like Fifi Fo Fum, like Jack in the Beanstalk giant. He had a height, six cubits in a span. And I was like, I don't really do that, cubit spans, I don't know. So I looked it up. A cubit is the length of a man's forearm from his elbow to his middle finger. And they call that 18 inches. So I was curious. I measured my arm here, from here to here. My wife did it. It's like 17 and three quarters inches. It's amazing. So this is a cubit. So that puts Goliath at about nine feet, nine inches tall. So, and I'll have you know, we made this, this is about life size. This is about how big Goliath would be if he was standing on the floor here. And I am what would be an Israelite man, about five foot seven, that's kind of accepted as an average height of a man back then. So you can see the size discrepancy. But I'm telling you that when we think of this story, we always said David is the underdog. And I think that's wrong. Goliath is the Bible's most famous underdog he never stood a chance against David. The top dog usually wins for a reason. And that afternoon in Elah, the favorite won again, like usual. When an underdog wins, we might hear someone say, that's a real David and Goliath story. Or the newspaper says, David slayed Goliath. But I'm here to prove to you this morning that David was never an underdog that day. We have to be careful when secular society tells us how to interpret a biblical story. It's, it's never usually right, and they want us to, to think of it not the way that we should be thinking of it. So we're told think about this, David, King David, a man after God's own heart, he's the underdog of any story. I don't think that that fits. Goliath never had a chance. So this morning, if you could open your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm sure most of you know the story. It's the David and Goliath uh, chapter. It's iconic. It's famous even in the secular world. We can't go through it verse by verse. We don't have time. But um, we'll break it down. So basically, King Saul was on, in the Israelites were on one side of a valley. Philistines are on the other side of a valley. And in between is the Valley of Elah. And Goliath would come out every day and challenge the army of Saul to send a man down into the valley to basically have a death match, to have a dog fight. And the winner of that singular battle would be the winner of the, the greater war. It was a, a proxy for the actual war, if you will. So uh, here's where we're going to pick up the text. First Samuel 8-11. Uh, through 11. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The men of Israel were dismayed and greatly afraid. You know, the Bible has those little headings. First uh, Samuel 17 in mine says, David versus Goliath. This chapter should be called Saul versus Goliath. The Bible says that King Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. He was tall. He was handsome. He was a king. He was a warrior. We talked about this. We know what to look for. He was the favorite, but he was dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul was chosen by God, and he was afraid. And I'm like, come on, Saul. This story was supposed to be about you. For 40 days the Philistine came forward, morning and evening. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Have you ever looked at that giant in your life and you're like, not today, tomorrow, not this morning, maybe this afternoon, not this afternoon, maybe tomorrow. 40 days this went on. There are many times when we just won't go down into the valley to fight the enemy because we're afraid we'll lose and that we're going to have to serve our enemy. The scene goes on and on, twice a day for 40 days, until David shows up. David heard this one time, only one time. And this is where we see the real champion is not from Gath, he is from Bethlehem. David is going to fight Goliath, and he's going to do so with a plan and with a purpose. So we're going to start with David's plan. So we're talking about sports a little bit this morning. We're going to use that because it's kind of fun. Um, You need an offense and you need a defense. That's usually how most sports, most competitions are played. So we're going to talk about David's defense first. He decides he needs some armor. That makes sense. He's going down, giant, deathmatch, the whole thing. So Goliath is well trained from his youth. He's huge. He's 10 feet tall. He wears almost 100 pounds of armor. So David needs to dress the part. 1 Samuel 17, 38-39 says, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. We don't actually know how big David was. We kind of assume he was smaller than Saul because the armor didn't seem to fit. It was loose and it was clunky. And this is where we really begin to see how confident David is. He says, I can't do it with this armor. And not only does it not fit, I don't like it, I have a better kind of armor. Ephesians six eleven through 13 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand firm. David's faith in God was sufficient for his protection. He took off the armor of Saul, and he put on the armor of God. He did not need to have faith in this worldly formed metal. He knew that God's protection was sufficient for him. So now we need an offense. So David's clothed now in the armor of God, he still lacks a weapon because in that passage we realize the sword kind of came with that. He didn't like the sword. So he rejected Saul's sword. and We know that um, David knows that he is equipped with a proper skill set to fight Goliath. He already has it. And we're going to go back into the text, 1 Samuel 40 through 43. Then he, David, took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?' and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Goliath mocked the skill set that God had appointed for David, the skill of a slingshot. Goliath had decided the terms of engagement were his to set. Sword fight, in the valley, armor, that's the way it's going to be. David said, no, I'm going to use the gift God has given me to defeat you. These are God's terms and not yours. Goliath underestimated the slingshot as some kind of child's weapon. He said, is this something you use to kill a dog, not a champion? Goliath hadn't been reading his Bible, we know this, because we know how dangerous a slingshot can be. There's biblical precedent for a slingshot being a weapon of war. Judges twenty sixteen. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. So if there are people, in Israel, who can use a slingshot, hit a stone, uh, a hair, and not miss, they could definitely hit this 10 foot tall Goliath standing in the middle of a valley. It could definitely happen. We know what happens next, but Goliath does not. He doesn't believe that he could be beaten by a handsome, ruddy, slingshot wielding Israelite. You'd have to be crazy to believe that. Do you believe in miracles? Back to the text. 1 Samuel 17:48 through 50. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to, to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag. He took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. David ran into the battle confident in his God given abilities. Goliath is no more. The underdog loses again. David had a plan to use the gifts God had given him to defeat Goliath. So, what was David's purpose? David's purpose was simple to give glory to God. Before the fight with Goliath, the prophet Samuel had visited David and anointed him with oil. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. I want you to remember that. David was full of the spirit before he ever fought with Goliath. This was not a battle just between men. It was a battle for the honor of David's God. I hope all of us here, when that moment happens, would have God's back like that. He said, I'm not going to let this guy taunt my God. This was spiritual warfare for David. On three separate occasions, David defines that fight in the spiritual in just the one chapter. We're going to read them now. Verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 36. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this Philistine shall be like one of them, for he defies the armies of the living God. Verse 46 and verse 47. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Do you see the pattern here? It is important to remember that David was really the only one who knew what was going on here. The Israelites were operating out of fear. The Philistines were operating out of conquest. But David was operating in the spiritual This wasn't a battle against flesh and blood. This was spiritual warfare for David. David's ultimate purpose was to give glory to God. The big idea of the message is this, you are not an underdog. When you use the abilities and gifts that God has given you, you give glory to God. It's your ultimate purpose. When you use those abilities to confront the giants in your life, you give glory to God. This isn't about works. God gave you those abilities. God does all the work, but sometimes he just wants you to step down into the valley sometimes. Don't be like Saul. You get to give glory to the person who gave you those gifts, and that is God. When your plan meets your purpose you are not an underdog and there's one more giant we have to talk about before we go home and that giant is still out there he's out there cursing the name of the living god right now that giant is sin sin stands in the valley and taunts the people of god twice a day every week for 40 days maybe a lifetime and sin is so dangerous because it is what separates you from God. But God has a plan for that. God has a plan to take away that sin from your life, and that plan is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's plan for your life is love and truth and grace and wisdom and justice God's plan for your life is Jesus. But God also has a purpose for your life. If that plan wasn't good enough, he has a purpose for your life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him, God's purpose is not to condemn you, it's to save you. God's purpose is not to condemn you, it's to save you. The ultimate giant, sin and death, the enemy, has already been conquered in the name of Jesus. And I tell you, you can declare that this morning. God sent a prophet to anoint David before his battle with Goliath. But here's what I want you to remember. God sent his son to you to anoint you with his blood when you have to face your giant. And there's so much more power in that. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? My brothers and sisters, we need to stop thinking of ourselves like underdogs. We all have amazing abilities, God-given talents, abilities that we can use to glorify God. We are not underdogs with Christ. We are champions. And that is my prayer for you this morning. Would you stand with me? Father, I I just want to say that I I pray over New Life Church that we will no longer have a spirit of fear. We are not underdogs. We are chosen, anointed, anointed people because we have received your grace. And there's so much fear in the world, God. I pray that you would banish it, just evaporate all this fear, all this misinformation that we see. But if it is your will that once in a while one of us is going to have to step up and do something about it, we know you've got our back and we know you've equipped us with an ability to do so, God. So I just pray that my brothers and sisters, as they leave church this morning, if they remember one thing, is that with you, with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, we are not underdogs. I pray this bl- blessing over my brothers and sisters, and uh, I just hope everyone has a great and blessed week, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you everyone so much. Thank you so much.